Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Welcome to everyone, those who can be here live, and uh, the, the handful of us, the band, and so a handful of others, and uh, for all of you joining us online as well. Yeah, it's amazing that God's presence is here with us. And last week I started sharing just about uh, plundering Egypt and uh, basically using the exodus, um, Israel's exodus from Egypt into the desert and ultimately towards the promised land as a picture of how God wants to take us out of um, times of suffering and hardship. Egypt, obviously, they're representing the slavery, the hardship of, of the Israelites. And um, just using that as an analogy for us to come out of difficulty. I mean, for, for many, if not most of us, 2020 was a pretty hard year. And um, just also saying that, you know, as we come, as the Israelites came out of Egypt, they, they went, you know, they came out of one form of difficulty and they went into the desert. And the desert wasn't necessarily easier. It was better in many ways, but not necessarily easier. So we shouldn't expect um, 2021 to necessarily be an easier year, but we can trust God that it will be a better year and that there are all kinds of good things that we can bring out from it. You know, God's people aren't exempt from suffering. But God in his faithfulness always helps us to receive good from suffering. And the question is, how do we get the good out of 2020? How do we deal with it? Not get stuck there, but deal with what we went through last year. Get the good out of it and move on. And I mentioned last week from um, Exodus 12, verse 21 to 38, um, four things that we can take from uh, just hardship and difficulty in general, but, but also from 2020. Uh, the same four things that the Israelites took out of Egypt. Uh, the first is the Passover, which is basically a celebration, a testimony and celebration of what God has done. Um, second thing is purity. God often uses difficult times to, to work purity in us and to refine us. Uh, a third thing is uh, plunder. Uh, the, the Israelites, we're going to read that again, plundered the Egyptians, uh, and God gave them all kinds of good things, valuable things, and there are valuable things that we need to take out of our hardship and out of 2020 specifically as well. And one of the questions we're going to, uh, we've be, we asked ourselves last week is, what, what is the good? What is the plunder that we need to take with us out of 2020? And then people, um, a, a mixed multitude came out with the Israelites. It wasn't just the Israelites who came out, but there were other slaves in Egypt as well. And God brought them. They joined themselves to the Israelites, and they also got saved. And uh, we can also take people with us into the salvation God has for us um, out of times of difficulty. So, um, the, yeah, the question is then, if we can take those things with us out of times of difficulty, out of times of suffering, out of... Um, 2020, out of our Egypt, metaphorically speaking, how do we receive the good out of difficult circumstances? How do we, what, what, what um, orientation or focus do we need to have so that we can receive the good out of situations, even difficult situations? And, and, and the understanding here is that I spoke last week about the fact that, you know, hardship and difficulty can either make you bitter or it can make you better. 
it's not automatic that we will take the good out of difficult circumstances. It's not automatic that we will receive the good out of 2020 and take it with us. What are the things, what are the, what, what's the orientation, the attitude, the focus that we need to have so that we can take the good out of what we've been through? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, read just again Exodus 12, verse 21 to, to 38. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a well-known story, but just open up your heart and, and trust the Lord that he'll, that he'll minister to your heart and that you'll see um, things that you haven't seen before. So in, in verse 21, Exodus 12, 21, it says, Then Moses summoned the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your house and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe the ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does the ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the uh, dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. And during the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up! Leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go worship the Lord as you requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go and bless me also. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country. For otherwise, they said, we will all die. So the people took their dough before, um, before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord, may, uh, the Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people, and they gave them what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. The Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth. There were about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. Many other people went up with them, and also large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. And um, what, we, what, what I want to highlight this, this, um, in, in, in this uh, session is just four things as well. So we focused on what last week, what we can take with us out of Egypt. But today I want to focus on just four things that enable us to deal with Egypt well, to come out of Egypt well, to come out of 2020 and into 2021 well, to come out of a time of difficulty, a time of suffering uh, well with the good that God has for us. And, and remember we said 
receiving the good from a difficult situation is not automatic. So these are some of the things that we must focus on so that we can receive the good that God has for us. And here I just want to say that um, the first thing that, let me just maybe mention the four things. Firstly, is we must focus on the goal that God has for us. The goal that God has for us. Uh, here it's mentioned as the promised land for the Israelites. Secondly, we must focus on the goodness of God. We must see and believe and really understand and be convinced of the goodness of God. Uh, thirdly, we, we must focus on God's glory, on, on worshiping God. The, the Pharaoh said to the, to the Israelites, go worship God as you requested. And then fourthly, we must focus on, on the grace of God, the fact that God gives us his favor and, and, and sends us out with his favor. So, so firstly, the, the, God's goal. We must focus on, on the goal that God has for us. In um, verse 25, it talks about uh, the promised land. Maybe, let me just maybe read that again. It says there, when you enter the land, the Lord will give you as he promised. Observe the ceremony. And one of the orientations, one of the focuses that we need to have to go through difficulty well and to come out better instead of bitter um, is we need to focus on the promises of God. And, and it's those promises of God that create and inspire hope inside of us. If we're just stuck in the moment, if we just look, if we just stare ourselves blind, as it were, against what's going on around us and what's right in front of our eyes and the difficulty and the suffering and everything that's going wrong, we will lose heart. We will become hopeless. We will give up. But if we can ever so often lift our eyes above our circumstances and see the promises of God, what God has promised us, the promises He's holding before us, the goal that He has for us, it'll inspire us, it'll give us hope. It's the promises of God that inspire hope in our hearts, according to um, Hebrews 12. And uh, Louis was actually quoting during the worship that, that scripture of... Um, even young, young men, you know, grow weary, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They'll rise up on eagles' wings. And, and, and we need that focus, that orientation towards the promises of God, that focus on the promises of God in order to have the hope to go through. You see, hope is the thing that carries us through difficult times. Hope relates to the future. Hope relates to us having an expectation, a confident expectation that God has a good future for us. That, that yes, even though we're going through difficulty now, there's something good that lies ahead for us in the future and that we can look forward to. And, and we need that. We need that in order to, um, to push through, to endure the hard times, the difficult times, the suffering, the hardship. Now, suffering, hardship, difficulties in general expose what we really trust in and what we really hope in. Now, when we come to God, we all think God is what I hope in. God is, what I, what I, uh, is whom I trust in. God is the one that, that, all my, that I've placed all my hope in. But, but what we don't realize is that our hearts can be quite treacherous. <laughs> and 
it doesn't take long for us to realize that, we, yes, we hope in God, yes, we trust in God, but we also hope in other things. And what difficulty and suffering and, and hardship do is they expose the other things that we also hope in. Because while things are going well, the things other than God that we hope in can sort of fly under the radar. They can go unnoticed. They can be under the surface. But, but as soon as we, we, we enter difficult times and, and, and those things, those other things that we hope in are either threatened or taken away, all of a sudden we start freaking out and we realize, oh my goodness, this is not just something innocent. And, and often those, those, those other things that we hope in aren't bad things at all. Uh, you know, um, but they, the, the, prob- the, the thing is just they're not God. And, and often we realize, but I was placing my ultimate hope in these things and not my ultimate hope in God alone. And so I, I think many of us, as we went through 2020, we realized that, you know, I, yes, I was hoping in God, but I was also hoping, um, you know, to, to get that spouse or to get that child which is not a bad thing to hope for. But when that thing was taken away and all of a sudden now I was in lockdown and I couldn't, you know, pursue that relationship or for some other reason we didn't get pregnant uh, or, you know, I was, I was hoping in my job and I didn't realize it until my job was threatened or I lost my job. Then I realized, but, but actually, I was hoping in that thing a lot more than I realized. So, Hard times, often God will allow us to go through hard times because it actually exposes what we really hope in. And what it does is not only to expose the other things, things other than God that we hope in, but it also exposes the inadequacy of those other things that we hope in. It, it, it exposes that they are not good enough. They are not sufficient to carry us through the hard times, to carry us through our Egypt, to carry us through our, our suffering. Um, and they... Let me just put it this way. It's not just God that makes promises towards us. The world also makes promises to us. The world also promises certain things, certain good life. But the promises of the world are only for this world and only as long as we're in this world. And if we hope in them, if we hope in a comfortable life, a a good life, however we define it, We're short-sighted because those promises of the world, yes, they can give us some hope, but those promises will ultimately always fail. And even if we receive, even if some of those promises are fulfilled and we get some of what we hope for, they only last as long as this life lasts. God's promises are the only things that can last beyond this life and that can lead to an eternal hope that lasts forever. And that's why we need to focus on God's goal for us. And it's presented here in this text as the promised land. In other words, God is taking us towards his promised land. And and that promised land, that ultimate good that God has for us, that ultimate rest that God has for us, that gives us the ultimate hope that carries us through the difficulties of life and allows us to go through hardship, to go through difficulties, to go through 2020 and to receive the good from it. Um. I once heard a story, and I've shared this before, but it's just so 
powerfully and clearly illustrates to me the importance of hope and what we hope in and how it has the power to carry us through difficult times. And, and, and that's just, you know, just imagine to yourself, um, even, you know, where you're sitting now, maybe just close your eyes and, 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 and imagine it. Just, just try and make it vivid in your imagination. But imagine two men who are sent to work in a sewage plant where, where sewage is pumped in and then it has to get processed and neutralized so it can be disposed of. And it's a, it's a, it's a terrible job. The, the sewage plant stinks to high heaven. It, it, it's, it smells terrible. It smells of decay and rot. And, and, and it's hard work. And it's, it's, it's work that gets you dirty, that gets some of that sewage on you. And it's, it's disgusting. And it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's not very creative work. And it's not very satisfying work. And, and you have to do this work every day. These two, two men have to do this work every day for an for, for entire year. One of them, he said, you've given, you, you, you're giving, given wages. And it's not even really good wages. It's sort of minimum wage. Uh, the other one is, uh, is told, you're given minimum wage, but if you continue working and do your work faithfully for the entire year, at the end of the year, you will also be given a million dollars bonus. Now, what do you think is going to happen between those two guys? Probably the one working for minimum wage it's going to sort of work for a while, but then just the, 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 the difficulty of the work, the, the, the drudgery of the work, the, um, the, 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 the terrible circumstances within which he has to work, um, the fact that he's getting minimum wage, that he's being underpaid for what he's doing, uh, will eventually get to him and he'll give up and, and, and it won't last too long. But the guy who's having exactly, the other guy who's been promised a million dollars at the end of the year, He's having exactly the same experience. He's, he's experiencing exactly the same sufferings and difficulties. But he'll push through because he has something to look forward to. He knows I just need to hang in there because there's, I can expect some really good reward in the future. And, 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 and that is what we need as well. We need that expectation of something good that lies ahead. And God's promises, and specifically you're encapsulated by God's promised land for us is that which we can hope in, which will carry us through the difficult times. So we must focus on um, God's promises and the hope it gives. And I just want to ask before I move on to the next point, what did 2020 expose about what you trust and hope in? Is your ultimate hope in God's promises? Or do you sort of partially trust in God's promises, but also trust and, and have a lot of hope in the promises of the world. Things that maybe 20, in, during 2020 were threatened or even taken away. What has 2020 exposed about what you really hope in? Then the next thing that we should uh, focus on, uh, be orientated towards, is not just uh, God's goal for us and His promises for us, where He's taking us, but also God's goodness towards us. Now, God's goodness does not mean that we will not experience difficulty. Uh, I know there's a very popular definition uh, that um, I don't know exactly where it comes from, but I, I know it doesn't come from the Bible, uh, that God's goodness means that we will never suffer. 
God's goodness means that we will never be uncomfortable. God's goodness means that we will never be sick. God's goodness means that we will never uh, suffer any want. God's goodness means that everything will always go well with us. And that's not a concept of God's goodness that comes from the Bible. Um, in the Bible, it's very clear. And, 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 and this situation that we read about the Israelites makes it abundantly clear. Because God was the one who led Jacob and his descendants to Egypt through Joseph and, and, and that old story that played out in Genesis. And God knew what was going to happen. In fact, he told Abraham generations before that what would happen, that they will end up in Egypt, that they'll end up being oppressed and enslaved and that they will suffer for 400 years. And then they will come out. So God's goodness does not mean that we will not suffer. God's goodness means that He will always save, ultimately save us from our suffering and being good out of our suffering. More good than we realize. And, and Joseph's story in the book of Genesis is such a good picture of that. I quoted that last week as well. Right at the end of, of Genesis, in, in Genesis 50 verse 20, Joseph says to his brothers, uh, and remember, Joseph was enslaved, he was betrayed by his, by his own brothers, he was oppressed and unfairly imprisoned, he was exploited, um, he, was, he was lied about, he was, um, he was abandoned and forgotten about. And in the end, through looking at his life through a gospel lens, he can say, you intended it for evil, but God intended it. And the it there is everything I went through. God intended it. It, it, it. What didn't happen by accident, God intended but He intended it for good to save many lives. And so the goodness of God is goodness that is in the midst of suffering, in the midst of difficulty, in the, in, in, in the midst of uh, despite, and not even despite, but even through the difficulty and the suffering that, that, we, that we go through. God allows suffering and God allowed 2020. God allows difficulty, but he allows it for, for a reason. And he wants us to come through it and to come out of it with an even greater understanding, a more robust understanding of his goodness and, and more faith and confidence in, 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 in his goodness. So the Passover reveals the goodness of God. And, and in the Passover, we see, in the run-up to the Passover, we see not only God in His goodness defeating the enemies of Israel, of His people, through His mighty hand, through the, the, the plagues that he, the, uh, that he sent against um, Egypt. But we see God in the, in the final plague, the death of the firstborn, showing His goodness and His mercy towards His people. In all of the plagues, God actually protected His people from, from those plagues. They lived in, in, in the province of Goshen, and they didn't experience the plagues. And, and in the final one as well, He says, um, sacrifice, slaughter the Passover lamb, dip uh, a bunch of hyssop into the blood and paint it on the top and the sides uh, of the doorpost of your houses. And then when the when, when, when I come through Egypt to strike the Egyptians, um, I will see the blood on the doorposts. I'll cover, I'll pass over those doorposts with the blood on and, and, and not allow the destroyer to come in. 
And, and he even says, I will, um, you should to say to your descendants that God, through, through the Passover sacrifice, spared our homes. So, so what we see here is, is God's goodness, and we see it in a, in a, in a, in a few different ways. And, and obviously, um, it goes without saying that the ultimate goodness that this Passover points to, towards the ultimate Passover lamb is Jesus. In, in John 1, we hear John the Baptist saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because Jesus is the Lamb, the ultimate Passover lamb. In, in Revelation, we see him as the Lamb who was slain, who, who, who now rules the universe. And we see that this blood of the lamb points towards Jesus. And even, even just a picture, like I said last week as well, about the blood being painted on the top and the sides of the doorframe, it, it, it sort of makes a cross and points forward towards the cross and how Jesus would shed his blood for us. Even the, the fact that it's the firstborn that dies shows God's goodness and his mercy. Now, think about it this way. Even in the midst of God's judgment on the Egyptians... He shows mercy to the Egyptians because the Egyptians had sinned, right? And God was busy judging them. But all the Egyptians had sinned, and yet God, and all the Egyptians, strictly speaking, deserved death. And yet God did not allow the death that all the Egyptians deserved to come on all the Egyptians. He allowed the firstborn to stand as a representative of the family, so even to the Egyptians he was showing mercy. Where all the Egyptians deserved to die, only the firstborn died. And even more so, remember Jesus is the firstborn of God. So even that, the whole firstborn thing points toward Jesus. But even more so to the people of God, to the Israelites. Because if you think about it, it's not only the Egyptians that had sinned. It's not only the Egyptians that stood before God guilty. The Israelites were as sinful as the Egyptians. The Israelites deserved death as much as the Egyptians. And yet, God allowed the Passover lamb to stand in for even their firstborn, so that their firstborn wouldn't die, because God knew that the Passover lamb would end up being his firstborn. And this is very, very important that we see this. We cannot appreciate the goodness of God fully appreciate the goodness of God until we appreciate the extent to which we do not deserve it. It's not like the Israelites deserved the goodness of God, the mercy and the grace of God, and the Egyptians deserved the judgment of God. Egyptians, Israelites, everyone, all of us deserve the judgment of God. And yet in His goodness, He not only defeats our enemies, and in the midst of that judgment on our enemies, even shows grace to our enemies, but he shows even more grace to us and more goodness towards us. And, and he does that. And this is what the, what the blood, the Passover lamb, I mean, even the door. I mean, Jesus says, I am the door. Whoever enters in through me will experience eternal life. Everything, whether it's the, the Passover lamb that sh that's blood is shed, whether it's the door upon which the blood is painted, whether it's the firstborn, all of it points so strongly and so clearly to Jesus because God doesn't only show us mercy and not give us what we deserve, but he shows us mercy and saves us at great cost to himself. That is the goodness of God. The goodness of God is where he enters into our suffering experiences our suffering and takes it upon himself 
so that we don't have to experience it. Until we realize that we don't deserve the goodness of God, we will not fully appreciate the fact that we get the goodness of God that we don't deserve. And it won't be as precious to us um, as it should be. I just want uh, to ask Nanya and, and Cornell to come up quickly, and, uh, and they're just going to share about um, how suffering has helped them with this and how going through suffering and experiencing God's goodness in the midst of suffering has helped them to not doubt God's goodness when they, when they do continue to suffer. So, thank you, Nanya. Cool. Um, so, about three years ago, five years ago now, yeah, I went to um, Belgium for a period of two years, and I kind of arrived there very naively, not really thinking it through, and arrived there and kind of realized I have a one-way ticket here, like I, I can't go home, and I'm alone, and uh, I literally don't know anyone in this country, and I can't communicate with these people, and anyways, it was just a lot and a big shock, and after that, uh, I just stopped sleeping. So for you know, about three years, I would get you know, sometimes like four or five days with no sleep. Sometimes I would fall asleep at like six o'clock in the morning, so I'd get an hour or two hours. So you know, I just, and it just dragged on and on and on. And um, you, know, you just end up getting quite, I don't know if, if it, it's not really a feeling that I can explain to someone. But you, you feel pretty depleted, very emotional. I would call Cornell every morning, and he would just hear. <laughs> and I, I remember I was so, like, kind of chuffed that I was in Belgium because it's constantly crying, and you're on your bike most of the time. Ugh, it's not constantly crying. It's constantly raining. Um, I was crying. Um, but then, yeah, so you could cry, and no one knows. And I was kind of like, oh, this is actually the perfect country to just have a meltdown in. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that, that kind of carried on for a while. And um, yeah, so I just want to share about like what I was going through in my personal and spiritual life as this was happening. Uh, so I remember thinking that I think it's actually easier to suffer like this if you're not a Christian. Because in a sense then, it's just about the suffering. But now there's all of these other dynamics at play as well. Like I'm in this relationship my closest relationship is with this being that can and has the ability to, I mean, he created the world with a word. So, you know, I know that he ha he's mighty and he has the ability to relieve my suffering. And yet, you know, it, it just continues on. And at the same time as him having the ability to ease it, he's also the person that you go to for comfort. But as you're getting comfort from you, you're kind of like, you know, you, you could also just solve it for me, that would also be nice, then we don't have to do this. Um, and at the same time, there's like this pressure to have faith that, you know, help is coming and that there's going to be a miracle and everything is going to be instantly fixed um, because you don't, you don't want your lack of faith to be the reason why the miracle can't happen. And I don't know, so there's all of this other stuff going on. And I think over time, and I, and I really didn't suffer well. Like, most of it was a bit of a train wreck. Like, if you would hear the things that I said and thought, you would maybe think, I don't think she's with us. I think she's on the other side. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so later on, after an extended period of time, you just end up feeling, oh, I was just very disappointed. And um, I yeah, felt very abandoned. Like you, you're kind of like, how can you 
watch this and see these nights and I cry out to you during the entire night and the next day I just cry like how can you watch this and you can fix it and you don't do anything like who are you um yeah this is it was just not the way that I thought my salvation was going to go down um and I would explain this to God as well I would say listen let's make a plan here because my expectation is I can get hit hard a couple of times every now and then. I need to because then I can pray to you and you can fix it. And then I can tell everyone about it and you can be glorified. And this is a really great PR opportunity for you. And you're missing it. And I want to help you. But you can't just keep it go, like letting it go on. Because I came to the secular country. I was going to be this light. And now everyone's looking at me thinking whatever this girl has, like I don't want it. <laughs> um, but anyway, so, so I was saying that. And then, if, so this went on for a while. And then I think the turning point for me, and it was a very slow turning, not an instantaneous 180 or anything like that, but there was this one night and it was at the end of a long stretch. It had been about five days since I'd last slept. And I came back from class and I was like lying on the bathroom floor too tired to go to bed, too tired to get up, and I just kind of said to God, like, this is actually it, like, this is a little bit the end of my rope, um, and I think this is the point where, you know, I kind of want to give up on hope and on waiting, and, uh, you know, like, I just want to tap out a little bit, and then, um, you know, God just asked me, if I don't rescue you from this, uh, will you worship me? And from that point on, slowly, like, that became my, well, what I try to do every day is thinking or coming into a mindset of even if this never changes, um, will, I, will I continue and will I be, be able to worship God? And if, if I'm not holding him to ransom, for my relief of suffering, what can I worship him for? And um, yeah, so then I think my mindset kind of shifted and I started thinking about God and who he is independently of what I'm going through. So, and I started deciding that my hope is not in this ending, but my hope is in, I know that at the end of my life, every promise um, comes true. So, yeah, there's even this verse, and it was my worst verse, but it says, uh, I give my beloved rest. And I would just be like, oi, <laughs> that's a mean verse. <laughs> but then my hope became, he, he gives me rest, not necessarily now in this life, but at the end of my life, he promises eternal rest. Um, and that's what that, that promise in that scripture is going to be for me now, not today or tomorrow or this year. Um, yeah, and after that, or through having to like kind of consciously make that decision for a for a long time, at the end of it, and after the suffering, now I can just kind of see how I respond to similar situations quite differently. Like before this happened, I was mugged, and for like a week after that, you know, you're tripped up, like, oh, I pray for protection, and where were you? Does it even help that I pray for protection? Are you even with me? You know, you go through that whole roller coaster when something bad happens, versus afterwards, like, my car got stolen, and then you just think, I mean, your first thought is kind of like, it'll be okay, God is good, 
this can happen, and that's independent of, of God's goodness. So, yeah, I could just see that there was a new stability in terms of how I think about the goodness of God that goes beyond what I'm going through. Yeah. Before you go, um, maybe you can also just very briefly share um, how God did heal you, um, especially uh, with, from the insomnia and so on. Oh, how did God heal me? So we went to Ukraine on a mission trip two years ago. And yeah, we, we had this horror, horrifying week. And, well, not horrifying, but it was a difficult week up until the, the last day of the youth camp that we were attending. And um, yeah, it's just, I struggled to sleep on the mission trip still, like missed most of morning prayers because I was trying to catch up sleep in that time. And then, uh, yeah, so the pastors kind of saw that I wasn't attending the, the prayers in the morning and asked me why. And then I s- explained the situation to them and then they prayed with me. And yeah, after probably like 300 people praying for me um, on that mission trip, I was, yeah, was healed. So I started sleeping uh, better again. I still have bouts where it's it doesn't go that well, but you know, not at all to the extent that it was back then. So, yeah. And then, and you also mentioned um, that now you can go through a difficult situation and and actually trust that despite the difficulty and the suffering that you go through, that that you can trust that God is still good, um, and that you don't have to doubt His goodness. Uh, because of suffering. Yeah, yeah, that's true, <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, thank you guys. Thank you, Nanya. Thank you, Cornell. Um, I, I, I think that's, it's, it's important to settle that thing in our hearts, to, to, to look at how God has um, saved us at great cost to himself in the midst of difficulty. Um, in other words, we need to get to a place where we're so confident in the goodness of God that, that our adverse circumstances don't shake that conviction of the goodness of God, where we can go through difficulties, go through suffering, and still know God is good. In other words, just because you're suffering doesn't mean that God is not good, and just because you're suffering doesn't mean you're not God's child. Just because you're suffering doesn't mean God is not with you. He's with you in the midst of the suffering. That's what the cross is all about. Um, and, and that's what the Passover tells us, is that God is not good um, in the absence of suffering, but He's good in the midst of suffering. And, and, and in fact, His goodness shines most clearly in the midst of suffering. And God will ultimately take the suffering away. He will take us to an ultimate promised land where there will be no more suffering, no more tears, no more sickness, um, Nothing uh, uh, like that. Just two things that we need to do in terms of responding to this. We see in in, in this text that there was the blood painted on the doorposts. But how they painted the blood was they took a a branch of hyssop, which was a bitter herb. um, And they took the hyssop hyssop branch and and leaves, dipped it in the blood and painted it on it. And that hyssop represents repentance in in sort of the, the prototypical prayer of repentance in the Bible in Psalm 51. David prays, I think it's in verse 7, yes, verse 7, and he says, uh, cleanse me with hyssop. And he talks about uh, his repentance, and he, and he sort of symbolizes it with hyssop. And, and the means by which we apply this, I almost want to say, pass over goodness and salvation of God to our hearts 
is, is through, through dipping the, uh, I almost want to say, the, 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 the bitter branch of repentance into the blood and applying it to the doorposts of our hearts. And then the other thing is, at, at one stage it says, the Israelites in verse 28, uh, Exodus 12, 28, the Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses in Egypt, and Egypt and Aaron. And, and the second thing, so the first thing is repentance. Um, and the second thing is the obedience of faith, or the obedience that comes from faith. Because they trusted what the Lord had said, what the Lord had promised, and the provision He had made, they threw... They, 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 they believed it, and, and therefore, out of that faith came obedience, and they did what the Lord commanded. And, and the Bible, often in Romans, the beginning and the end of Romans, it talks about the obedience of faith, the obedience that comes from faith. And, and that, that, those two things, repentance and the obedience that comes from faith, is how we um, receive and how we respond to the goodness of God um, and, and the sacrifice that He makes for us. Now, just in closing, Nanya already mentioned uh, the third thing that I wanted to say, and that's God's glory and having a focus on God's glory. If we focused on ourselves, we will always be caught in the trap of saying, why me? Why is this happening to me? We'll always be caught in the... In the, uh, the problem is you cannot find purpose in self-centeredness. Self-centeredness robs you of your purpose. Anything that... The only things that can have a purpose are things that are a means to an end and not an end in themselves. Okay? And if we make ourselves, so, so this pen, this pencil has a purpose, uh, and it, its purpose has nothing to do with the, pen, it's, the pencil itself. Its purpose is to write what I want to write down. So, you know, if I want to, you know, write down my sermon notes or so, then I can use this pen, uh, this pencil to, to write down my, my sermon notes. Um, the purpose of this pencil is outside of the pencil. And likewise, we can only have purpose if we're a means to an end. If we make ourselves the end instead of the means, we actually nullify our own purpose. And that's why so often in this generation, this modern Western generation especially, which is so self-focused, so individualistic, so radically individualistic and self-focused, so many people struggle with purpose and specifically struggle with pur the purpose of suffering and hardship. But if, like Nanya said, you can shift your focus away from yourself and towards God, then all of a sudden you can see the purpose in your suffering. And that's what um, Pharaoh says, you know, when he, he says, um, go, in, in, in verse uh, 31, uh, Exodus 12, verse 31, go worship the Lord as you have requested. Now, once again, notice here, just like Nanya said, the, the scripture is saying the same thing. Uh, they had requested, Moses and the Israelites had requested, they had said, we're in a situation where, where we feel it's difficult, Lord, to, to, to worship you and to, to, to reveal your glory. Take us out of this situation. And, and they were asking to to be taken into a place where they can worship God. They were asking to, to, for God's glory to be revealed in them. And when we have this focus on worshiping God, on His glory, not our, our comfort, then all of a sudden we can suffer well because we're not focused on ourselves. We're focused on God and, and His um, glory. So, yeah, I think I'm going to... I'm going to end there, and, and I just want to encourage you, you know, if, if we can 
focus on God's goal for us, His promises, His promised land, it'll give us hope. If we can understand and be convinced, despite our circumstances and despite the propaganda of of the devil and of the world, um, despite the contrary voices of our circumstances, that God is good to us, that He intends good for us, that, yes, there are, you know, People intend it for evil, but God intends it to good. And not only for our good, but to bring about salvation of many people, goodness to, to, to the world. And if we can focus on God's glory and worshiping Him, and if we have a desire to worship Him, if that is our orientation, if that is our focus, then we can go through anything and come out better on the other side. Then we will not be bitter by going through suffering and hardship, by going through 2020, but we'll become better and we'll be well positioned to receive all the good things, all the plunder, as it were, that God has for us. And I just want to leave this with you. Um, How well are you orientated? How well are you focusing on, on these things? God's goal for you. God's goodness towards you. God's glory through you. How, how well are you focusing on these things? How do you need to tweak what's going on in your heart, your, the orientation of your heart, the focus of your life, so that you are positioned to plunder Egypt, to, to receive all the good that God has for you as you come out of Egypt? Father God, we come to you this morning in Jesus' name, and we thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your good and precious promises. Lord, thank you that you give us a hope that stretches even beyond this world and beyond this life, a promised land that we can hope for, an expectation of the ultimate good that you have for us. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness, Lord, that, that, that even the the bad things that we go through, the suffering we go through, Lord, you intend for good and you bring good out of it. Not only for us, Lord, but even for the world around us, the suffering world around us. And thank you, Lord God, that, that every opportunity, every moment in life is an opportunity to worship you, to glorify you. And we pray, Lord, that, that our hearts will be focused on those things, Lord. And that we will because of this orientation, this life orientation, we will be well positioned to suffer well. We pray, Lord, that the world will even look at us and see us suffering and see how we, Lord, turn away from self-centeredness and self-pity towards you and glorifying you and, and, and suffer well, Lord. And we know we don't always do it right, but thank you for your grace, Lord, that even when we don't get it right all the time, Lord, you keep tugging at our hearts, keep drawing us closer, keep making us stronger and more robust by your grace. And we we just pray, Lord, that in all of this, Lord, Lord, you'll be glorified as your image becomes more, more and more clear in and through our lives. In Jesus' name. Lord, I just pray your blessing over your people. Lord, and I pray, Lord God, that that at the beginning of this new year, this beginning of 2021, Lord, we will come out of 2020 well so we can go into 2020 well, 2021 well. And I just pray for your blessing upon your people, Lord. Thank you that you bless us so we can be a blessing 
in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to encourage you in closing. Um, the Passover became in the New Testament the Lord's Supper, communion as it were. So if you're with your family or friends or even if you're alone, just take some bread, just get, take some wine or grape juice or even you know if you don't have those you know water or us will do fine as well it's just a symbol in any case but just take that take the cup take the bread and just celebrate the the promises of god for you his, his, his goals his good goals that he has for you the goodness of god in your life and his salvation that he brings and the glory of god and how you can focus on it as you um, celebrate the communion the Lord bless you. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.